Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by Jean Aj, otherwise at this point known as Johnny Hodge, <laughs> and JC Abbott, aka Jumbo Cheeseburger. We're discussing the CFL potentially changing its kickoff rules. By the way, before we get into the rest of the intro, I realized the other day Dunk does not have a nickname. So from henceforth, I have declared Uh-oh. that JD will be known as Broken Wing. <laughs> in reference, of course, to your busted wrist. So if we're introducing Ja Auj and Jumbo Cheese, I would like to so introduce. Up now. You're showing the wrong hand in the video, bro. Come on. No, I had some other stuff done to my right hand. We won't get into that. <laughs> Regardless, we got the broken wing joining Jumbo Cheese <laughs> and Ja Auj. We're also talking about the Edmonton Elks signing a former first round NFL draft pick. Ottawa Red Blacks officially acquiring QB Drew Brown from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Riders releasing receiver Jake Weineke. And the Argos adding two former CFL players to their coaching staff. But first. A new era has started in Calgary as Jay McNeil takes over as president of the Stampeders. The 53-year-old played along the team's offensive line for 14 seasons and rejoined the club in 2022 as the vice president of business operations. John Huffnagel, who had served as the team's president since 2016, remains on as an advisor to head coach and general manager Dave Dickinson. Is this positive news for Stamps fans? I think this is positive news for Stampeders fans and anybody ultimately with a vested interest in the CFL. I'd like to preface this by saying I think John Huffnagel is rightfully in the Hall of Fame. He had a great career as a quarterback. He was an outstanding head coach. He was a very good general manager, but it never made any sense to me whatsoever that he would serve as the team's president. John Huffnagel is a football man through and through, and him serving as team president, I think, was ultimately detrimental to that franchise because teams do not need football people serving as their president. John Huffnagel belongs in a film room. He does not belong in a boardroom trying to win over new sponsors, let's say, or trying to figure out how to save money at the concession stand or how to make sure that each washroom has enough toilet paper. That is not John Huffnagel's specialty. That is not his forte. Asking John Huffnagel to be the president of your football team is like asking a shark to climb a tree. Not smart of a way to use resources. Now, part of this probably came about as a way to, I don't want to use the word circumvent, but certainly pay John Huffnagel more at a time when the football operations cap applied to personnel people but did not apply to team presidents, though he was, of course, the president before the operations cap officially came into play. So I don't know if that was a part of it. It might have been, but let's also paint a picture for our listeners real quick in 2015 the last season before Huffdago was the president in Calgary they averaged 30,300 fans per game this past season the stamps had just 21,700 fans on average that's a 29 percent dip Yeah, there will be John Huffnagel apologists who say, but the price of oil and but the economy and but what about the the 
well, let's talk about the stadium. Did did we get any closer to a new stadium in Calgary under the John Huffnagel presidency? He was there almost a decade. I'm unaware of any tangible progress whatsoever that was made in that regard. Now, we don't have any information about sponsorships or merchandise. I'm actually doing an interview with Jay McNeil, who I think is a great hire, on Friday of this week. Watch for that column out this weekend, possibly into the early parts of next week. I'm sure we'll discuss it on next week's show. But first of all, I think that Huffnagel was the wrong person for this job from the onset. And secondly, I think Jay McNeil has a bright future here as a true business person. And by the way, good for Calgary getting John Huffnagel back where he belongs in the film room because Dave Dickinson last year looked like he needed help with that team's personnel. And I think John Huffnagel is the perfect person to provide that help. That is a good use of his skill set. Being team president never made sense to me. It's not impossible for someone to be good at both types of things, right? Being a football guy does not exclude you from being good at business. I mean, Jay McNeil himself obviously played for the Stampeders for a long time. He's a football guy who's gone into the business side. But Huffnagel is a football ops guy. He's a general manager guy. He's a coach guy. And that's such a very different skill set, as you pointed out, Hodge, right? You need a president who is willing to market your team, who understands the importance of that. And unfortunately, the Calgary Stampeders simply haven't had anyone who had any inclination towards marketing that franchise for the last little bit when Huffnagel was in that chair. They haven't had someone who was willing to rub shoulders with the rich and famous and, you know, grease the pockets of politicians to try and get them a new stadium. That wasn't John Huffnagel. That wasn't his skill set. They need someone who can do that. I think Jay McNeil is a great step in the right direction. Unfortunately, I think it comes a little bit too late, and there's a lot of damage that he's going to have to fix. Guys, I'm curious if you know the answer to this question, and sorry, JC, for putting you on the spot. When was the last time the Calgary Stampeders won a playoff game? 2018, yeah, when they won the Grey Cup. Indeed. So as much as I have a lot of respect for John Huffnagel, aside from him wanting to make American hash marks on a Canadian field, I hope they put them back to the Canadian width. I feel like his time has come and gone as a football savant or whatever you want to call him in this league. He is a Hall of Famer. He's a guy that has a relationship going back to his NFL days working with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, he was great in his prime. But it is clear, especially since 2018, you want to talk about the business side, Hodge, as you alluded to, but even on the football side with this team, that they are not the dominant force that they once were. People will talk about things being cyclical, but Calgary was the standard. Remember ABC, anybody but Calgary? Everybody else, in terms of fan bases in the league, hated the Calgary Stampeders because they knew that they were going to win the West Division every year and have a great shot to get to the Grey Cup, if not win it. So all due respect to Mr. Hoffnagel. He has left the Stampeders in a better place, but his prime years are behind him. And I feel like this franchise needs to find its stable footing with Dave Dickinson. He's got a lot to prove here. The team was, to be fair, 12-6 and six in 2022. 
but they went six and 12 in 2013, still made the playoffs lost in the same round. So maybe those six wins matter to some people. Maybe they don't. I think they tell you a bit about where the franchise was at. Yes, there were a lot of injuries, but this is a new era for the franchise. And it has been since last off season when Dickinson was named the general manager and head coach. But in reality, Huffnagel had kind of been, I don't want to say stepping back because he loves football so much, but maybe removed isn't the right word either, but his duties were kind of being less and less with this team. So I think we're going to find out a lot about the Calgary Stampeders under Jay McNeil. I like the upside of this hire, but he's got a lot to prove. Let's look at Winnipeg, for example, and their president, Wade Miller, out here getting a 10-year brand spanking new naming rights deal for their field. What's going on with McMahon Stadium? They haven't had anybody as a title sponsor of that field in a long time. I don't even remember when you can go back to that naming rights. So this is why I think it's smart. In fairness, Dunk, if you were a company, would you want to put your name on that? I was going to use a word that I can't say on this podcast, but asshole, <laughs> that asshole of a building. Would you? That's fair. But I'm just saying, if your president and business operations and marketing team is good enough, you go out and do that. That's part of what you get paid to do. I also remember a dump in Regina and a dump in Winnipeg, both of which got naming rights deals near the end of their time before they were replaced by better buildings, which Calgary, by the way, needed 10 years ago. So, And, and it should also be mentioned, the Calgary Stampeders do not have the strongest ownership in the CFL. One could argue they have the worst ownership in the CFL, and that has obviously had an effect on the team on and off the field. However, I don't think you can look at the head coaching tenure of John Huffnagel and suggest that it was anything other than incredible. I also don't think you could look at the presidency tenure of John Huffnagel and call it anything but a failure and a missed opportunity. This team hit the reverse button and backpedaled in almost every respect. I love the 2018 line you pointed out, Dunk. That means that since Calgary last won a playoff game, Winnipeg has been to four Grey Cups. Think about that for a moment. They've been to four Grey Cups since Calgary won a playoff game. So this team desperately needed new leadership at the helm. And again, I still think there's value in John Huffnagel being a member of that organization. It just needs to be in a spot where his skill set makes sense. So hopefully... They get it settled in Caltown, and I'm looking forward to hearing what Jay McNeil has planned for his new gig. The CFL is reportedly considering a rule change that would see fewer kickoffs take place. One possibility is giving teams the option of scrimmaging at their 40-yard line after allowing a touchdown, while the other is adopting an XFL-style kickoff format where the cover team starts at the play well downfield. BC Lions general manager Neil McAvoy did an interview on the sports cage in Regina and spoke in favor of a potential change, citing player safety. How do you feel about these ideas? Look, I, I don't think it's a secret, Hodge, that I am as much of a CFL traditionalist as there could possibly be. The idea of any substantial change to the rules, particularly one of the aspects of Canadian football that is so unique and so much more exciting here 
than it is south of the border does not sit with me very well. Now, I do think there is a substantial difference between these two rule proposals. On the one hand, allowing teams to scrimmage from the 40 after a touchdown, all that would be is a reduction in the amount of kickoffs. And while I don't love that because I think that any special teams play in this league is a benefit and a plus because of how exciting those plays can be, a reduction rather than a change to how it's operated, I can live with. And teams that still have electric returners are still going to opt to return it sometimes, and you're still going to see those kickoff returns in the final three minutes. So that is the rule change that Neil McAvoy is in support of. I can live with that one, even if I'm slightly uncomfortable. But, but if we go to that stupid XFL kickoff, (laughs) I am out. I'm out. It is the dumbest thing I've ever seen on a field. I hate it. I've watched it in the XFL. I've watched it in the ELF in Europe, where they've also adopted it. It's terrible. I hate every part of that slapdick backyard football (laughs) gimmick style. It is garbage, and we should not have it in this historically great league where returns have had such a massive impact and have captured the hearts of so many. So take that proposal off the table entirely. Focus simply on whether there is merit to a reduction in kickoffs based on the injury numbers and settle it there because I do not want to see that fake-ass return style in the Canadian Football League. It's difficult, though, JC, because you're trying to balance player safety. And especially in the NFL, more and more you go along, it's hard to hit the quarterback at all in any fashion, especially if you're going after the upper echelon guys like Patrick Mahomes. I feel like there's a way that he is officiated and then some of the other lower tier quarterbacks. It's much different. So I understand the league looking at the many different iterations potentially of a rule change. I'm not going to call it slapdeck. I'm not going to go as far as you are. I understand it. The CFL One of the things it's largely known for, Henry Gizmo-Williams, Brandon Banks, Pinball Clemens, Bashir Livingston. There's a huge list of these guys. Keith Stokes, that were great returners in this league and that really made their name and their money doing that. But football is changing. And I think, you know, especially that hit in BC last year that we saw, JC, you were there for it, is something that is going to cause some of these changes. And I understand it, but it's kind of hard to me to find a happy medium because in all reality right now in the NFL, the kickoffs a formality, like how many of those kickoffs just go out of bounds for touchbacks? Yes. Some are returned. 31% are returned. That is the number. 31% are returned. The thing to me here is there's so much of a focus on kickoffs, but you still have guys flying down the field on punt coverage, right? The NFL hasn't done much to change that at least to the best of my knowledge. So how is that much different from a kickoff? I understand that you're going to have less guys kind of running full speed down the field, but I hope that it doesn't get changed too much. That said, I understand them wanting to potentially change it for player safety. It's a tricky line to walk. To me, I don't hate this proposal at all. 
and I'm sure the CFL leaked this potential change to TSN with the hope that fans would let them know what they thought, right? It's like the canary in the coal mine. Let's go over social media and see are our fans losing their ever loving minds about this or are they kind of fine with it? Personally, I would fall into the latter category. And the reason is kickoff returns are by far and away the least exciting return in the CFL. Missed field goal returns are sensational. A lot of those get brought back for huge gains or even touchdowns. And it's a huge swing play because team A, by missing the field goal, that's three points off the board. Team B scores seven. It's a, it's a 10 point swing. Massive, massive momentum changer. Punt returns are also a lot more exciting, and they also involve a lot fewer high-speed collisions, whereas kickoffs, everybody's got a full head of steam heading down the field at the same time. I looked at some numbers. Henry Gizmo-Williams, in my opinion, inarguably the best returner in CFL history. He had 26 punt return touchdowns on 1,000 attempts, so essentially 2.5% of his punt returns went for touchdowns. Miss field goal, he had three touchdowns on 59 attempts. So about 5% of the time an opponent missed a field goal and he was able to return it, he brought it back to the house. On kickoff returns, he had two touchdowns on 335 attempts, meaning well under 2%. We're we're talking about less than 1% here. Uh, So to me, that, that illustrates well you know, as much as kick returns can be exciting, I'm not saying they're never exciting. They rarely produce the big plays, even relative to punt returns and certainly relative to missed field goal returns, which, again, I think pose less of a risk to player safety, given that there's fewer players traveling at such high speed, which is also probably why they often go, of course, for bigger plays because a missed field goal and for punt. You need blockers on the field, right? Kickoff, there's no blockers. You're sending 11 guys out there plus your kicker to go down and annihilate the opposing returner. So I'm not bothered by either proposal. I would really like it if the CFL tried one or two of these options, even in the preseason. Why not give it a shot? See what happens. And then maybe look at adopting this rule for 2025 after you've had a chance to test it. I am for this change if it uh, if if it's necessary. I am. Does this mean that JC's calling you a slapdick in a roundabout way? No, but I think that <laughs> I would happily call JC a curmudgeon who's afraid of change. <laughs> I am absolutely a curmudgeon that's afraid of change. That is an accurate accurate statement. <laughs> I I am not I'm not afraid to admit that. But look, okay, I'm I'm sensitive to the idea of player safety in some ways. And in that specific ways, I really only give a sh- about your head and your neck, okay? That's it. That's all I care about, okay? And there is evidence that there are more concussions on kickoffs, right? The NFL numbers where the kickoffs represented 6% of plays, they represented 14% of concussions. I'm not sure, to me, if that's a substantial enough number for me to adopt those changes or if there's other tweaks that could better alter those numbers or affect or reduce the amount of concussions. I think there are 
changes to the technique of the game or the way people hit that would be far more impactful for making the game safer for the head and neck than a lot of these changes that have been currently implemented. Now, we did see a tremendous hit in this the playoff game that BC and Calgary played in Vancouver. Uh, truly one of the most startling, disturbing plays that I've ever been able to witness live. Um, both Peyton Logan and uh, Jack Hinsberger were knocked unconscious for that play. I know both have had some long-term effects from that, uh, a fractured spine uh, or fra- fractured vertebra, I should say, from from Peyton Logan and then some nerve damage for Hinsberger. Uh, hopefully both can be at full uh, full strength for this coming season and it doesn't affect their careers long-term. But how many hits like that have we really seen? I've been watching the CFL for a long time. You guys have been watching it longer one, than though, me. Bro. And there's been some scary ones over the years. There have there been some scary, but how many scary ones on kickoff like that? Like, I can't think of many off the top of my head. And again, I've been watching for a long time. So I don't want us to be sensationalized by one particular play that, again, is a freak play in a sport where no matter what you do, people are going to get hurt. Right, unless you want to make this competitive knitting, somebody is going to get hurt playing football. That is an inevitability. Okay, and as much as I want to see concussions reduced to almost zero, you are never going to get there. Okay, it's never going to happen. It's just the nature of the sport. It's a contact sport. Unfortunately, it is a reality. And again, there is no desire to actually do the changes that could that could impact this. Like why have we, why is it still allowed to launch yourself like a missile with no attempt to wrap? That's a dangerous tackle that results in heads getting thrown in there. People getting concussed all the time in rugby. That's illegal. You have to wrap with every tackle attempt. You don't have to necessarily be successful, but you have to make an attempt to wrap. That would reduce so many injuries in my mind. And it's not even on the floor for consideration in this sport, which boggles my mind. But to my broader point, beyond the concussions, right? The NFL will cite numbers of ACL tears and lower body injuries on special teams. 30% of all those injuries come on special teams. If it's not your head and neck, like that's just the price of doing business. I'm not overly concerned about your knees. I'm sorry. This is a sport that you cannot play for very long. It's a privilege to play, but there is going to be injuries. And I'm not interested in changing the fabric of the the game in order to prevent an ACL tear. That is just not something that I would even remotely consider. JC doesn't give a bleep about your injuries. I don't. I will will say this. I I think calling this a change to the fabric of the game is a gross overstatement. We're talking about – It depends what it is. We're talking about at parts of the game – we're going to give teams the choice to do something other than kickoff, which again, generally again, don't, I don't, don't, I don't like that. Plays. But I'm I'll be okay with that one. I'm not gonna sensation if we go with the XFL kickoff, I'm rioting. I'm marching down, <laughs> I'm buying a plane ticket to the CFL head office in Toronto. I'm marching in there, I'm banging on the door, and I'm gonna scream for Randy Ambrosi. And he won't be there because who knows where he is all the time, but I'm gonna bang on the door anyway. Well, we we haven't really had. Uh, 
We haven't had a wellness check on the CFL office since Skip the Dishes sent them nachos a few years ago from and an angry writer fan. There. Nobody, nobody was there. Nobody was there. It was pandemic. I cut them some slack. Actually, according to a, according to a recent job posting, it appears as though you only need to be in office two days a week. So theoretically, now there'd be somebody there. It's all hybrid these days. Uh, but anyways, my point is, I don't think that removing like half of your kickoffs and keeping literally every other aspect of special teams the same constitutes changing the fabric of the game. I think that this is a minor change. The only thing I would feel strongly about is let's test it and not rush to do it for 2024 just because we feel compelled to because of one nasty hit as brutal as it was. Let's, let's, let's try this out in a preseason. Let's see what it's like. Let's, let's keep it normal for the regular season. And then maybe by 2025, we have more data. We have more consensus from the coaches, from the fans, from the players, all that stuff. There's no need to press the panic button. Let's make a couple of things clear here. Okay. The views of Mr. J.C. Abbott do not reflect the views of at least Justin Dunk and maybe John Hodge, okay? CFL players and football players in general, I care about your health, okay? You need to hear that, I feel like, after J.C. went on. Your long-term health. I, I care about your long-term health. To a point, yes, and part of that are the effects like Jack Hinsberger suffered and Peyton Logan that's that's head and neck. That's that's long term. I care about that. I I don't care that your knees are going to ACLs when you're are long term, bro. There's going to be arthritis and probably a knee replacement partially because of that. Okay, it's, I it's care about injury. players' injuries. Let's I, get I, the concussions down as close to zero percent as we can. It's been shown over the years with technology and equipment and helmets and especially the way that people tackle. Which JC, I actually think you are spot on with. The tackling and launching that way needs to be taken out of the game. I don't want us to go full rugby style here with the rules and all these laterals and all that stuff that I don't like from rugby, but you should at least be attempting to wrap up in your tackle. I think they should get those launching type of hits out of the game. Honestly, if you do it once, I think you should be thrown out. It should just be no strikes, and then players would stop launching themselves. There would be proper... Wrapping tackles, you can still have big hits, but you won't get those dangerous hits that are going to have long-term effects for those players because at least, I don't know the best way to say this because I hate saying I, but I care about the player's health on this podcast. Hodge, what about you? I do as well. I, I do see what JC's saying, though, which is it's easy in today's day and age of the technology that we have to repair ankles and knees and shoulders and hips. There's nothing we can really do to repair a brain. That I think is the point that JC is trying to make um, it while is. also and, and- simultaneously sounding a little bit like a medieval torture device <laughs> operator. I think um, sometimes in our efforts to protect limbs that are not as important, we actually put the head at more risk. And I think of the, of the things like, our, our rules on cutting, right? Like you used to be able to, as an offensive lineman, big 300 pounder, you get out on the edge and you could like cut a cornerback, right? You could take him out at the knees. And then they're like, oh, okay, that's bad for their knees. It's going to, guys are getting ACLs. Let's stop that. Now, what's the alternative? The alternative is like a, a 320 pound man now gets to manhandle a 170 pounder and drive him into the ground. Like, that is far more dangerous to the head and neck than anything that could have happened to their knees. I Like, 
I know that it's an elevated risk of knee injury, but like it is more dangerous for that player's head and neck to have a 320 pounder try to kill him rather than cut him. Like it's makes no sense to me. I, that's, I that's will say soapbox. I do obviously care. And I think JC does as well regarding the health and safety of all CFL players. But I just speaking for myself, if the choice was having a debilitating knee injury or debilitating, pardon me, a debilitating brain injury, I know that I would choose the knee exactly. every single time because I can have medical professionals get that knee back very close to what it was pre-injury. I don't know about my noggin and that's what I make my living with because the rest of my body don't work so good anyway. <laughs> Well, certainly not well enough to play football. I got to talk about it for a living. Right about it. You can walk around a decent amount. I'll give you that. You don't really complain about walking many kilometers like (laughs) JC or other people associated with Three Down Nation. (coughs) Ben Grant. (laughs) In fairness, you haven't taken Hodge on as many mile-long hikes as you've taken me and Ben. We we walked half of Halifax in (laughs) 40-degree weather, bro. bro. Come on. All those side hills that you walk, JC, you're just bursting in sweat. No, I, I will I will confess, you, though. You almost killed Murray. You almost <laughs> killed Murray. McCormick, for those. Yes, the Murray McCormick from the Regina Leader Post. Yeah, this is Nearly the reason died. Murray retired. Try to get, get chase yeah. Justin Dunk up a Halifax hill. I will Dude. say I, I might have complained about it, but the whole time we were doing it, I knew that you had complained about it, and I didn't want to fall into that trap. <laughs> Moving on. The Ottawa Red Blacks acquired quarterback Drew Brown via trade from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in exchange for a fifth-round pick in the 2024 CFL draft and signed him to a two-year extension worth $286,000 in hard money in 2024 and $350,000 in hard money in 2025. What are your expectations for Brown in the nation's capital? Ooh, you know, that's an interesting question. I think with this salary that can go as high as 340000 with playtime incentives in 2024 and 400000 in 2025, that that allows Ottawa to keep and add talent around him. I know we're going to talk about it later, but an example of that would be Dominic Rimes coming there. I think now Ottawa has... Potentially, arguably, two number one receivers. I really like Jalen Acklin. Have followed him from his days with the Tiger Cats down to the Red Blacks. There's been a bunch of quarterback changes there that he's had to deal with. He's still been productive. JC, you've seen Rhymes up close in person a number of times. I think we all agree that he's a guy that still has you know top of the league type of potential. So from that standpoint, I really feel like the contract is a great deal for both sides. It's not crazy money. For a guy in Drew Brown who is getting his first opportunity to be a legitimate QB1 in this league. And from Ottawa's perspective, they start off the relationship with Brown in a positive way. You know, there's some people on social media saying, well, couldn't you have signed Brown for, you know, next to nothing and still had more money to upgrade this roster? Well, Brown, if you wanted to, didn't necessarily have to leave Winnipeg. I'm sure he could have gone back there on a backup type of contract, let's say in the $150,000 range. 
And maybe he would have wanted to go to Calgary instead, thinking, you know, Jake Mayer wasn't that great last year. I'll count on him faltering. Or perhaps he could have gone to Hamilton and say, you know, Bolivar Mitchell is going to have a bunch of other injuries and the Tiger Cats do have money to spend. So general manager Sean Burke had to at least pay a decent amount of money to show Brown he was wanted in the nation's capital and to get him away from the potential of signing with another CFL team when the negotiating window and then ultimately the full market opens. So I do like his potential there in Ottawa. Part of what I thought was really intriguing was Zach Kaleros wanting him to go to a situation that Caleros felt comfortable with. And that's with Tommy Condell, the offensive coordinator in Ottawa now. And that offensive line, if they play better, I think should be pretty good in front of Brown. I'm a big fan of Devontae Williams. I hope they can bring him back at running back. And now you look at that receiving core, and even just with Acklin and Rhymes in there, I think it's pretty good and has some upside. So I think Brown really has everything that you could want in a guy to be a bona fide starter, but now he's got to go out and prove it. I like the financials here for Brown's perspective. We talked a lot on the show last week about how Winnipeg might be the best fit for Brown, but obviously he was never going to get $286,000 in hard money from the Bombers who simply don't have that kind of money to spend right now. And kudos to our very own broken wing for reporting these numbers (laughs) earlier today on Wednesday, as we record the show. But Drew Brown, to me, is a very good quarterback to have if your offensive line is potentially struggling. No, he is not a Trey Ford type who's going to take off and and run for 800 yards over the course of a season. But he is somebody who's excellent at throwing on the run. I think that might be his strongest ability. And I also think his elusivity behind the line of scrimmage is very similar to Zach Kolaris. The only difference being Kolaris you know, though he's certainly not slow, I think his speed and his quickness have certainly slowed down since his prime, uh, let's say in, in maybe 2015, when he was able to make a lot of plays with his legs. These days, Kolaris mostly relies on his legs just to kind of buy time and often find Dalton Schoen, who's, you know, had four seconds to run away from the opposing halfback and find a spot <laughs> 30 yards down the field to make a great catch. So to me, that is something Drew Brown does very well he can buy time and he makes quick decisions which is something that I think Dustin Crum really struggled with though I hesitate to blame him too much given the circumstance of him being thrown in as a raw rookie so to me I I like this move for Ottawa I do the other thing I will say what does this mean for Ottawa well it means that Drew Brown is their week one starter right Jeremiah Masoli Red Blacks haven't ruled him out for week one, but I think he would need a miracle to be healthy for week one. And if Drew Brown's getting almost 300K in hard money, you're certainly not sitting him behind Dustin Crum, or you're certainly not sitting him behind Tyree Adams. And that's if Adams is back and healthy from the ACL tear he suffered early last season. So to me, Drew Brown is your day one starter, and you're going to try to build some type of quick hit offense around him where he can use his legs to buy time, where you can get him moving on the run. That'll help the offensive line as well, throwing outside of the pocket. Are the weapons in Ottawa good enough? No, I still don't think they are. But Dominic Grimes does provide... Even with Grimes, bro? Yes, yes, that is how I feel. But there is still time to upgrade that receiving core. There is still time to add a weapon or two 
it's certainly a lot better than it was with Dominic Grimes as a, as a, an arguable number one target. I still see him as kind of a number two. Jalen Acklin's kind of a number two. You'd like to see a true one, but there are also some very good CFL offenses that don't necessarily have a true number one receiver. There was also one in the CFL last year at Edmonton that did have a number one receiver that couldn't move the ball consistently. So to me, I, I like this move. There's more work to be done, though, in the nation's capital. I like it from a financial side for both parties. I think Drew Brown gets his due, and, and Ottawa is not paying through the nose here. It's still a reasonable deal for a first-time starter. I like what Ottawa is doing for their weapons and bringing in guys like Rhymes, and I think there will be more activity in that receiving core going forward into free agency. And if they can add another piece, it may actually start to look like something a little bit dangerous in the nation's capital. But you mentioned Drew Brown needs to get the ball out of his hands quickly. He's good at manipulating the pocket. How much of a pocket is he going to have to manipulate? Because he had one of the best offensive lines in football in front of him for the limited snaps he took for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Now he's going to go to Ottawa, and if they don't upgrade that position as well, he is going to be in for a very rude awakening. And for a young starting quarterback, to me, that is the biggest concern here, is that you could argue on four of the five spots on the offensive line, you may not be satisfied with Ottawa's current starters, and they're not going to be able to upgrade all those spots. Now, some of those guys are extremely better, young. Some of, yeah. some of those guys are extremely young, right? And they're going to grow into their roles, right? I think there's a ton of potential in guys like Cyril Hogan-Sandow at center who has some pieces to develop. I think Zach Pelahos, I still a believer in him. I knew he was going to be a multi-year project. And I believe he can become something. But if you're going to trot back out there with Dante Bull and unchanged Dante Bull, and that will be the question if he can cut some weight and improve some mobility. But if he's the same player he was as a rookie last year and you're sticking him at right tackle, then Drew Brown isn't going to have time to get the ball to whoever you put in that receiving core because they're going to have struggles up front so that to me is the priority for the red blacks now is making sure either through coaching or through additions that offensive line is better because you cannot develop a young quarterback without good protection Dino Boyd is you know arguably one of the best developed recent left tackles do you guys agree with that no, I think he's okay, but I also think there's a pending free agent right tackle in Winnipeg who could always follow Drew Brown to, to Ottawa, maybe. This is true. I, That's I, the maybe. intriguing part of this is maybe. the money that Ottawa is saving at the quarterback position. For instance, the Red Blacks are going to pay their quarterbacks as a whole less than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to play Zach, pay excuse me, Zach Caleros for the 2024 season. Same with Chad Kelly and the Toronto Argonauts. So they have money to spend. I think some of the weaponry will depend on if they can get Justin Hardy re-signed. But if they don't, there's some other intriguing receivers out there, guys that have not yet re-signed with their teams, and that could hit free agency. Sean Bain Jr. is still a pending free agent as of this taping on Wednesday. Demonte Coxie is a very intriguing, still a little bit raw, but up-and-coming 
receiver. And there's other guys out there. You know, there's whispers about Dalton Schoen potentially making it to the negotiating period. I don't know if Ottawa would have that kind of money to spend, especially if they want to try and upgrade that offensive line. But because of what Burke has done with Brown here, I think there's a lot of potential upside with this team. Just pulled up the numbers, Dunk, from from PFF that have done. They did their offensive line rankings all throughout the year last season, and their final rankings. The Ottawa Redblacks were ninth, and of the guys who played the most snaps at each position, the following players had PFF grades below sixty, so in the low end of their grading scale. That would be left tackle Dino Boeg. Center Cyril Hogan-Sano, and right guard Jacob Ruby. Now, Pelahos had above a 60, but he played more than Bulls, so I don't know what Bulls' grade was when he eventually replaced Pelahos at right tackle. But really, Drew Desjardins was the only higher-end piece along that offensive line last year. Um, there, there needs to be some serious improvements. All analytics, though, and Dustin Crum was holding the ball for a long that, time. That's the issue with me. That is, that this is, is a fair. team that didn't have weapons and it had a super young quarterback and a limited playbook from an offensive coordinator who got fired. And as much as it pains me to say, as someone who grew up cheering for Kahari Jones as the quarterback in Winnipeg, deserved to be fired. So I I. I not saying the PFF numbers are useless. I'm saying I'm not putting crazy socket into them. But I will say the best offensive lineman in Ottawa is Drew Desjardins. Where did he play first? In Winnipeg. And his agent also represents who? Jermarcus Hardrick, who would potentially fit the biggest need for that team and provide another year for Zach Pelias and Dante Bull to develop. Or... They can always move to the guard position. Dante Bull played a lot of guard at Fresno State. Zach Pelias took a lot of reps at guard as a rookie in 2022. So I think that there are possibilities there potentially. As for Dalton Schoen, it wouldn't completely shock me to see him in Ottawa. I think a more likely scenario, if he goes to the market, is the Montreal Alouettes. But it remains to be seen. The Bombers obviously have exclusive negotiating rights with Schoen and Hardrick until the window opens on February 6th. So we got a couple weeks to wait. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have signed Mason Fine to a two-year contract extension, leaving the future of pending free agent quarterback Jake Dolagala in doubt, at least in Ryderville. Does this move make sense? I got to be honest. This makes no sense to me whatsoever, like at all. Like, like Mason Fine got four games to start, didn't really do anything with them, gave way to Jake Dolagala, and he was better in every way, shape, and form. Like, like Mason Fine's completion percentage was really high because he basically just checked it down all game. But Dolagala had more yards per start. He threw for 11 touchdowns. Fine only threw for three. Dolagala also threw nine picks. Mason Fine threw five. So, the interception percentage is better for Dolagala. The touchdown percentage is better. The yardage is better. And I also think, you know, as a man who is like seven foot four or something preposterous, he is better able to take some of the punishment that comes with being a starting quarterback in the CFL versus a guy like Mason Fine, who they list at 5'11, but 
I've stood beside Mason Fine. I don't think he's 5'11 unless he's standing on a phone book. Like, he is not a large guy. And that's not to, to disrespect Mason Fine. He was an absolutely sensational quarterback at North Texas, the best passer that program has ever had. But to me, it was always going to be a matter of who do you bring back? And I think we've all been waiting to see when are they going to announce Jake Tolagala is back. Answer apparently is he's not because you're not bringing both of these quarterbacks back. Now, if the question is where does Jake Dolagala go, I understand he has changed agents since the end of the 2023 season to hire a more CFL-based agent. The agent who he originally came to the CFL with is not CFLPA certified, more of an NFL guy. So clearly he is getting ready to test the market. To me, the team that makes the most sense for Jake Dolagala would be Calgary followed by Hamilton. That, of course, remains to be seen. But in the meantime, I like a lot of the moves the Riders have made this offseason. This one it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, to me, it definitely indicates that Jake Dolagala is not going to be back in Saskatchewan. But even in that case, is the desire to have an average backup like Mason Fine so great that you need to re-sign this guy to a two-year deal. To me, it's better to plumb some of the depths at a certain point of the negotiation list pool of your scouting resources and try and find more guys, bring in a bunch of backup candidates rather than filling up spots with guys that you've already made a determination on. You decided last year that Mason Fine wasn't going to be your guy when you replaced him fully with Jake Dolagala. So to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to bring him back when you've already made that determination, even if that experience is somewhat valuable. You've got plenty of experience. You've got Trevor Harris there. There are very few people with more experience. You can afford to have some young backups. I know there is a fear if Trevor Harris gets hurt again that you need someone but you already determined that Mason Fine is not that guy for you you moved on from him last year it's time to move on permanently from the guy who is just for the record verified at five foot nine and six eights to answer your question Hodge it's a different offense though different coaching staff they're gonna have different views on the players compared to last year when kelly jeffrey was running the offense and obviously craig dickinson was a head coach now it's Corey mace head coach and mark Mueller as the offensive coordinator and perhaps fine and we'll have the numbers i'm sure soon enough at threedownnation.com took a cheap deal to come back perhaps dola gala wants a raise that was too big that the riders didn't want to pay and still see some upside and fine i've talked to some respected personnel people around the CFL that felt like despite the actual interception statistics that was noted already that Dola Gala was more turnover prone overall in terms of risky throws and ball placement, especially down the field than fine. So there are people on rival teams, let's say that still believe that fine has some upside. Was I surprised by the decision? Yes, but I think when you start understanding some of the background and how the decision was actually made behind the scenes and the fact that it's a different coaching staff, you can start to understand it at least a little bit. I appreciate you bringing some balance here, and it should be noticed that noted that Fine did win one start of the four he had 
Jake Dolagala won his first two starts and against very good teams, by the way. He beat BC and Winnipeg in those starts. And then, of course, he was at the helm for Saskatchewan's seven consecutive losses to finish the season, though Mason Fine's lone win came in a tight one in Regina against the lowly Ottawa Red Blacks. Barely beat them 26-24. So I appreciate that the film does sometimes tell a different story than the statistics, but I, like, I've got the quarterback ratings right here. Not that quarterback rating is end-all, be-all, but Mason Fine had a worse passer rating this past year than Tyree Adams, Jarrett Deggy, Dustin Crum, Taylor Powell, and even Davis Alexander. Now, that's a really small sample size, but the point is these are guys with really no experience ahead of 2023, and in different settings, some of which were not very good, had better production than Mason Fine after three years. Like, like to me, if if Mason Fine is going to be that guy, he would have been the guy in 2023. He had a two-year run, didn't get it done, obviously, in 2023. Now, it would be fantastic if Mason Fine showed out in 2024 and proved us all wrong because the CFL needs more exciting young quarterbacks. I'm rooting for the guy. I'm just saying I don't see it. The BC Lions signed Alexander Hollins to a two-year contract extension and released former league all-star Dominic Rimes in a corresponding move, who has since, of course, as mentioned, joined the Ottawa Red Blacks. Did the Lions make the right decision here, and were the Red Blacks smart to sign Rimes? Look, I, I don't think it's a necessarily a, a factor of the right decision. I don't think they had many other options here, just from a salary cap perspective the Lions have some big bills due on their pending free agents and in that receiving core you had to pay Alexander Hollins who was due a raise and I think is a very exciting young player in this league and you had to pay despite the fact that he is going to miss a lot of next year with his injury with his injury Keon Hatcher who they've locked up for three years as well on a bit of a discount deal for next season but big money overall going forward because those two guys are really the most exciting components to that receiving core. Also, you locked up Javon Katoy on a three-year deal as well, which no doubt came with some significant expenditures. Unfortunately, Rhymes just became the odd man out. And I sat here almost a year ago saying that Rhymes was the best receiver, bar none, in the CFL. I absolutely love what this guy can do when he is on his game, but he struggled with injuries a little bit last year. He was good at the start of the season when he was on the field, but they didn't get a tremendous drop-off in production when he was hurt, and they had to play Justin McKinnis in that spot, who really impressed them last season. And then he basically disappeared at the end of the year when they desperately needed him to step up and unfortunately everyone's going to remember that play against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers where he kept going for the game-winning touchdown when he should have gone down to kick a game-winning field goal I think that stuck with him a little bit over that last little bit it hit him hard I think emotionally in the after effect I don't want to blame his performance down the stretch just on that play but he was noticeably absent from the plan and from the offense. From that point on, he had 
I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but I think like six catches for 58 yards in the next four games, two of which were playoff games and was basically a non-factor from there on. It was just time to move on because you couldn't pay him what he was worth with all the other components. And those guys proved to be more important to this offense. It's smart for BC to re-sign Hollins. who's going to get paid over $200,000 in 2024. And I also like the fact that Rhymes gets to go back to where his career started mm-hmm. in Ottawa. It seemed like it was something that he wanted to do, but there was no way that BC could keep this entire receiving court together under the salary cap. You have to prioritize the Canadian and Katoys you mentioned, and they really do like the upside of McInnes. And they feel like he still has some potential to reach there with the Lions in that offense and Vernon Adams Jr. throwing the football. So I think if Rhymes can be healthy, he can be a real value get for the Ottawa Red Blacks and potentially give them, Hodge, I know you disagree with this, but two number one receivers. I think Jalen Acklin is a guy who can be a number one in this league. He's shown flashes of that in the past. Rhymes has certainly shown that, and you pair them with the young quarterback in Drew Brown, who's trying to become a bona fide QB one. And I like the way that it worked out for Ottawa, although it does take away from the Lions overall receiving core. I bet somebody's going to step up. I I still think Dominic Rhymes is a good player. My issue is he's coming off an injured year, a down year in production. He's going to be 31 by the time the season starts. And he was never a guy who won on speed, even at the peak of his career and the times where he has been a CFL all-star, most notably in 2022 when he caught 85 passes for 1400 yards and 11 touchdowns. I still think he's a great fit for the, for, for the red blacks. Like this is a guy who has made Ottawa, his off season home. Frankly, they made a mistake when they let him walk. And there's a reason why they cleaned out their entire front office as part of a team that really struggled to make good personnel decisions during the later uh, part of its tenure in the nation's capital. But that is the reason why I have some skepticism about this move, right? The best thing to do is to pay guys based on what they will do in the future, not what they've done in the past. Now, the receiver market is a tricky one. Prices are up. I don't think this is a bad move for Ottawa. All I'm saying is I don't think it's realistic for Dominic Rimes to have a 1,400-yard season again. I think a good season for him in Ottawa would look something like 65 catches for 1,000 yards and five touchdowns. I think those 1,400-yard days are behind him. And the Red Blacks need to do what successful teams in BC and Winnipeg and Toronto have done and find a receiver of their own and develop them, right? That is a big part of the reason that Winnipeg and BC and Toronto have been so loaded over the last few years because Dominic Rimes goes down and goes, wait, who's this Alexander Hollins guy? And he goes for a CFL all-star season. Dalton Schoen's been making league minimum. Demonte Coxie in Toronto has been making league minimum, like, like big time receivers making big time plays. That is, I think, the the long term path. Hit a thousand yards. Yeah, as a guy time. who's in his thirties as well, because he played in the NFL for a long time. Um, Still the guy they brought in, it fits the category. That does technically, on a technicality, broken wing <laughs> fit the category. You are correct. <laughs> All I'm saying is this is a good short term move. Long term, I think they got to build it a different way, but a good short term move. They needed they needed a receiver. 
It's now time for Hodges' heritage moment. On this day in 2017, Henry Burris announced his retirement from professional football. The 17-year veteran was a five-time divisional all-star and two-time CFL Most Outstanding Player who won three Grey Cups, including his last career game with the Ottawa Redblacks. Burris retired as one of the most prolific passers in league history, recording 63,369 passing yards, 373 touchdowns, and 227 interceptions, over 277 career games. The Oklahoma native was a first ballot inductee into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 2020 and served as the tight ends coach of the Los Angeles Rams this past season. Broken wing, do you ever see Henry Burris coaching in the (laughs) CFL? It really seems like he's NFL focused. And even when he was with the BC Lions for a hot minute, he got back down to the pro league down south. So I think it's a possibility, but Burris seems to have his sights set on big time things. And, you know, there's a lot of talk right now, NFL head coaching vacancies and people wanting to go to that Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. I'm not saying Burris is on this track yet, but if you're tied with Sean McVay and that Rams offense is still producing, and you could climb that ladder in the NFL fairly quickly. There's a chance he comes back to the CFL perhaps later in his career, but I think right now it's all about the NFL for Burris. I think it's a lot about his kids too at this moment, and they're playing high school football. One is just about to graduate, looking for a place to play college football. Hopefully we see a young Burris with a Canadian passport one day playing in the CFL. That excites me a little bit more than seeing Henry Burris come coach up here. Let's go to the three-minute drill. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders signed running back Frankie Hicks into a one-year contract extension. Was that expected? I was a little bit surprised, only because his production dipped so much this past season. Though, he runs a little bit like A.J. Olette, doesn't he? The BC Lions have finally signed defensive lineman Daniel Joseph, who they selected in the first round of the 2021 CFL Draft. Can he upgrade their pass rush? I have some doubts based on the fact that he has taken so long to get up here. And when he was in the XFL with the Seattle Sea Dragons, he wasn't all that productive. I know he had a great season back in the day with NC State allegiantly, uh, but he's a little bit stiff. And I'm not sure if he's a full-time edge guy in the CFL. I'm going to be very interested to see how bought in he is and what role he takes next season the Montreal Alouettes have signed former NFL quarterback James Morgan could he push for playing time behind Kogi Fajardo no bro we talking about the Grey Cup MVP come on now Zach Lindley has retired from the CFL at the age of 24 will the Montreal Alouettes miss his presence I think they will on special teams this is a guy I remember going to that combine I think it was 22 and asking some of the players, who's the best guy who didn't get an invite? And to a man, they all said Zach Lindley. Now, retiring at 24 should be noted, he's a Vanier Cup champion and a Grey Cup champion. Not a long career, but certainly a productive one. The Riders released receiver Jake Winicky ahead of his $30,000 offseason roster bonus. Will we see touchdown Jake back in the CFL in 2024? 
imagine we will, but certainly not with the same acclaim or demanding the same money that he once did. I think we pretty much know what Jake Wernicke is at this stage, and it's not a number one receiver. It's not a number two receiver. He may be a number three in the right offense, and he has certainly struggled the last number of years. Kent Austin has received a promotion at Auburn University, becoming their quarterback's coach. Is that a smart move for the Tigers? It seems like it could be, and credit Austin for transforming himself because a lot of people felt like he was so old school, you know, kind of got run out of Hamilton there during the last days of his tenure with the Tiger Cats, but he's reinvented himself, especially in the NIL days in the NCAA. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have signed Walter Payton Award winner Eric Berrier. Could he be the Bombers' future under center? Well, right now, the Bombers have two quarterbacks under contract. Uh, pardon me, three quarterbacks under contract. But Berrier is certainly the second most prolific when it comes to certainly production in the NCAA. So, you know what? I, I'm not saying it's going to have the next two years. Zach Kolaris has got this team through 2025. Beyond that... Who knows? Barrier could be the guy. The Lions re-signed Canadian receiver Javon Katoy after he set all new career highs in 2023. Could he have his first 1,000-yard season this year? I think there's a possibility with some of those holes in the BC Lions receiving core because of who they've had to pay and who they've had to move on from. But the value of Javon Katoy is about more than yards. He is a size mismatch, and he contributes just as much as a blocker in that offense. He is really a guy who can get his nose dirty and do the things that other receivers can't. Zach Caleros was spotted in a box during the Kansas City Chiefs playoff win over the Buffalo Bills on Sunday alongside Jason Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Do you think the two-time CFL MOP talked to Swift? And if so... What do you think they talked about? I bet that he was probably cordial with her and for the uninitiated out there. Caleros was a college roommate at the University of Cincinnati with the Kelsey brothers. That'd be Jason Kelsey, who plays center for the Eagles, and Travis Kelsey, who is, of course, dating T-Swift. But, I mean, as much as he's going to hate it, we have to call Caleros a Swifty now, officially. Saskatchewan has signed Canadian kicker Brett Lother to a contract extension through 2026. Are the Riders smart for making a long-term commitment to the Nova Scotia native? I think so. I mean, Lother had a bit of a down year in 2023, but he's still a very good kicker. One interesting thing, I think, is that so many teams are married to the global kicker, global punter thing. The Riders, one of few teams clearly happy to stay Canadian at place kicker. I kind of like it. The Calgary Stampeders have signed Canadian linebacker Adam Konar following his release from the Edmonton Elks. Do you like the move? I do. Adam Konar is always good depth at linebacker as a Canadian. He can come in and start for you if need be. My question is, is this an indication of moves to come? Because obviously Konar is not going to unseat Cameron Judge at will linebacker there. But they've got a vacancy at middle linebacker in Calgary, right? Micah Awe is a pending free agent. Silas Stewart is a pending free agent. I wonder if Ben Halagic could be a fit there if he doesn't get the money he wants in BC. Vernon is basically in between the two cities. It's not like Vancouver is more of a hometown place than Calgary is. 
the Toronto Argonauts have hired Dominic Picard and Demetrius Maxey to their coaching staff for 2024. Picard spent this past season at the University of Sherbrooke, while Maxey had been with the Elks since 2018. Is that a good move? It is. I like the addition of both guys. Picard was a nasty, really physical offensive lineman who, of course, played in the league for a long time. And I think Max, he has proven himself a guy that's capable of not only playing at a high level in this league on the defensive line, but coaching and developing it as well. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have a new name for their home field as IG Field has become Princess Auto Stadium. What are your thoughts on the switch, Hodge? Well, everybody on social media seems to be losing their damn mind about this switch. And I just want to hop in the time machine back to 2012 when Twitter was brand new, or at least it was popular for the first time, and remind everybody that the name Investors Group Field was completely panned. And everybody complained that it was stupid and awful and bad. And lo and behold, 12 years later, apparently it was the greatest thing of all time and changing the name somehow is like this terrible desecration of something that was all holy and amazing and wonderful. Like Most people are like JC. They just don't like change. They just don't like change. To me, I'm fine with it. To me, the two nicknames here, I've seen them both floated on social media. One is the Paw for the uninitiated Northern Manitoba. The Paw is a town, P-A-S. I kind of like it. The other one, the Toolbox, which I also really like. Warren Craney has been named the head coach of Team Canada for the 2024 IFAV World Junior Championship in Edmonton. Is that a good hire? A lot of people will point to his tenure at York University, which was remarkably unsuccessful as a reason why this they might be skeptical about this move. But there's been almost nobody who's been more involved with the Canadian national junior team than Warren Craney over the last number of years and has actually head coached them to a gold medal over the United States before. So this is a natural fit as we look to win our third consecutive goal on home soil this time around. Stephen Dunbar Jr. has signed with the Houston Roughnecks of the UFL following his release from the Edmonton Elks. Is that a good move for the receiver? It could be, but I think it really shows to me that Dunbar Jr. was not going to get the kind of money he thought was possible after his release from Edmonton made around or just over $200,000 last year with the Elks. The Ottawa Redblacks have re-signed edge rushers Bryce Carter, the up-and-comer, and Lorenzo Malden, who was the Defensive Player of the Year in the CFL in 2022. Which of those was the smarter signing? To me, it's Carter, right? We just talked about it. Pay players based on what they're going to do, not what they've done. Malden is well into his 30s now. He had an amazing season in 2022, was not nearly as noticeable in 2023. Carter could become a premier pass rusher in this league. He's only 25, and you can argue he already is a premier pass rusher at the age of 25. The Edmonton Elks have signed former first-round NFL draft pick Robert Nikemdiche, while the Saskatchewan Rough Riders signed former Green Bay Packers receiver Geronimo Allison. Which former NFL player do you think will have the bigger impact with their new team? I'm intrigued by most both moves. I think just based on the fact that Edmonton is so, so desperate 
to have somebody on the field on that offensive line. Kim DJ might have a bigger impact early in his CFL career, but I don't think these guys are the two biggest former NFLers in terms of immediate impact for their CFL teams. That's going to be Travis Fulham with the BC Lions, the receiver formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles. I think there's an opportunity for him to win a starting job with one of those vacancies in the BC Lions receiving core and have a huge impact in that high-flying offense. The Edmonton Elks released veteran defensive back Ed Gangy, who was a pending free agent. Do you think the 33-year-old will get signed elsewhere? It's a possibility, but I think there were some personnel people around the league that thought even before he went to Edmonton was close to being done. He's a veteran guy who I think could provide some leadership and solid play in the back end for a team, but it's going to have to be on a bargain deal if he wants to continue playing. Last up, we would like to extend our sincere condolences to the family and friends of Bruce Coverington, who played along the offensive line with the Calgary Stampeders for seven seasons in the 1990s, winning two great cups. He passed away suddenly on Tuesday at the age of 57. He was not only a very successful business owner, but was also somebody who volunteered his time to a number of charitable causes, including youth sports. We extend our sincerest condolences again to Bruce Coverington, family and friends. A tough loss for the Calgary Stampeders, especially on the tale of Burke Dale's sudden, pass, sudden passing earlier this year at the age of 46. We thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday for our next episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.